and welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast, a discussion of God's extraordinary works through his ordinary ways. My name is Winston Weber and with me is Pastor Mike. How's it going, Mike? Good to be with you today, Winston. I'm excited about this topic because we're going to teach people today how to hear God's voice. Dear listener, do you hear special messages from God? Do you hear a still small voice in your head? Do you get special feelings about the way your direction in life should go? Today, you need to listen to this episode. We are tackling the voice of God. Mike, hearing the voice of God is becoming a pretty big topic in the universal church. Uh, At the very least, there seems to be a lot of vagueness when it comes to hearing the voice of God. As a pretty typical churchgoer myself, what do I need to know about hearing the voice of God? Great question. Big topic. Let me say something to preface this. I would say that I'm most concerned for believers who are very sincere and who want to follow God in accordance with his word and have somehow adopted some confusing lines of reasoning or made some assumptions or have been taught some unsubstantiated claims and they get confused in their Christian life because they think they're supposed to be listening to God's voice and hearing his voice and listening to the spirit in ways that you could actually hear. And if that doesn't happen in their life, when that doesn't happen in their life, then they get disillusioned and say, well, God isn't working. So I'm most concerned for the Christian who is sincere and who wants to do the right thing, but somehow uh, just gets confused and their thinking uh, is a bit off and it's not in line with the Bible. Here's the first thing you need to know about hearing the voice of God. There is ample Biblical evidence that God's word equals God's voice. God's voice equals God's word. I can take you to place after place, especially Hebrews chapters three and four, which we'll look at in a moment. But God's written and inspired word of God is the voice of God. And and messages that people receive outside of the Bible are not authoritative. Mm, That's an important distinction right there. Not authoritative because it's such a destructive topic oftentimes because what you see is at best, it's kind of this vague thing that's like, oh, you know, I, I feel this impulse on my life or I, I feel some special thing to go and, you know, maybe talk to someone about the gospel or something like that. At, at best, that's what it is. Yeah. At worst, I have seen so far as if you are not hearing the voice of God, you are deeply rooted in sin and you are probably not saved, you are not going to heaven because you have not heard the voice of God. Absolutely. Because here's the problem with the authority. The the authority is in the scriptures. If you are saying that you heard a voice and now you are bound to obey it, who said that voice is from God? That's right. And authority is where we're coming down to because we have too many people making too many claims based off of what they think is from God. When We have no idea if that's true. It could be, it could not be, but you know what we do have is the word of God. We have the prophetic word made more sure. This is the written word of God, the living and abiding word of God. And I want to take you to Hebrews three and four and listeners, if you want to turn in your Bibles to this place, I want to show you a couple things. I mean, seriously, in Hebrews three and four, it says today, if you hear his voice, Hebrews three, seven, quoting the old Testament, it talks about today. If you hear his voice in Hebrews four, seven. And right in the context in Hebrews four, 12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It's very clear in this context that it's all about hearing the voice of God by listening to and heeding, obeying the written word of God. And that is our sole authority. 
let's set this up then. That's what we mean when we are talking about hearing the voice of God. And we mm-hmm. showed the biblical foundation for why we believe that. Is there room when other people talk about the voice of God? What exactly do they mean? And is there room scripturally for what they mean? Okay, this is another great question. So I hear these things all the time. Someone will say, I'm listening to God. They will say, I'm hearing God's voice. They will say, I'm listening to the spirit. And what they mean is I'm worshiping God. I'm obedient to the word. I have a sensitive heart. I'm loving God. I'm, I'm doing what I heard in the word. So we have no problem with that. I would say they should think through their terminology better because we want to be able to use biblical words accurately. And if we're co-opting a biblical word that doesn't teach something specific, then we're going to go off base. So, for example, if someone says, I'm listening to God, I'm hearing God's voice, I'm listening to the spirit. And what they mean is I am getting new messages from God to me outside of the written scriptures. That's a scary proposition because, again, we're going to go back to authority. Are you bound to obey that? You said that's from God. And if God is speaking, you have to obey. What the Bible shows, though, is that God's normative way of dealing with his people is not by speaking in an audible voice. It is by the written, authoritative, inerrant, infallible, inspired word. We all have thoughts and feelings. We need to own those thoughts and feelings. We don't need God's stamp of approval on every thought and feeling we have. And I think that's one of the reasons why people want to say, I heard it from God because now you can't argue with my thought or my feeling. That's right. It shuts down the entire argument before it begins. Right. And we want to have a dialogue with people. We want to converse with people. We want to process the Christian life together with people. So there was a line that someone presented to me recently and I read it and thought, oh, I know what they meant, but they didn't mean what I thought they meant. Here was the line. There is no distinction between God's voice and God's word. Now, when I first read that, I thought to myself, wait a minute, if you're saying that, that means that if you say you're hearing a voice, there's no distinction between that and God's word, that they're both God's word. and Both, they're both are binding, both are authoritative. Right. And they're both authoritative over you. And then you ask the question, wait a minute, if, if you hear a non-biblical voice, that's equal to God's word? Okay. What they meant was there is no distinction between God's voice and God's written word because God's written word is God's voice. But I read their sentence wrong. Hmm. There's no distinction between the the voice of God and the word of God. Well, really, as long as they're saying what we said, right? This goes back to the whole terminology thing, right? Like it it is so so important, Winston. Winston words are important. Words with Winston. So you're saying that words mean something? Okay, good. Well, like for example, there's a terminology someone uses, and they'll say, "Well, when a believer opens up God's word, he is speaking." Now we know what we mean. God is speaking through His word. But for example, someone will say, and I've used this before, uh, lowercase speaking. I mean, lowercase s speaking. I don't mean that he's giving me a new message. That's capital S speaking. That's the word of God. And my thought would be just don't use those confusing terms. If scripture doesn't use the terminology, maybe it's better to say God is leading me, guiding me, convicting me with the Bible that I read. Right. And here's here's what we need to understand is we're trying to be very specific and we're trying to have very definitive answers for this, because I don't know about you, but when preparing for this episode, just kind of peeling back the curtain a little bit, Mike, when I was preparing for this, I I looked everywhere. I could. I was asking other people for advice on like, what good resources do you have when talking about the voice of God? And you know what I was looking for? A definition of what it means to hear the voice of God. Nobody had that answer. And so 
it's hiding behind this smokescreen of vagary to basically make it be whatever they want. There's a lot of play when it's vague like that. I agree with you. What we're giving the people today is how do you hear God's voice? What does it mean and how do you do it? And I don't want to cast shade on the people who didn't have those definitive answers. You know, I, I don't want to be cruel and I don't want to be mean. But if you're going to have I, I read 20 articles, none of them had a definition for hearing the voice of God or how I could do it. Right. Every single one had get in your quiet place. You know, you're you're he'll hear the still small voice. All, it's these all about you. I have gone to all those websites as well. And I'm like, all it is 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 you be a good enough Christian and God is going to speak to you audibly. And that's a travesty because that's just not biblical. Now you want to blow your mind. Here's one. When I stand up to preach the word of God, every word in my sermon is not the word of God. I have the Bible all over my sermon. My sermon is drenched in the Bible, but the only part that's the word of God is actually the Bible verses. That's right. So as I'm speaking and even explaining a Bible verse, God can give illumination on the meaning of his word, but it is not his word. When you're listening to a sermon, you're not listening to 100% the word of God. You're listening to the word of God mixed with man's voice, and you need to be able to differentiate the two because something I say is not authoritative and binding on your conscience. What God says in his word is authoritative and binding on our consciences. That's right. And we, we want to be careful about that. There are plenty of false teachers out there who are, who are outside of the Christian realm, right? Who let's talk about, you know, Jehovah's witnesses, Mormons, any of those who are Mm -hmm. going to say, they're going to make claims that are broader than the Bible that we know are false and who are going to say that their view trumps the Bible. Right. Right. When we talk about inside the church, when we're talking about hearing the voice of God, one thing that we want to look for is that somebody is not reliant on their own personal revelation so as to prove themselves right. So we promised that we would teach you how to hear God's voice. So here you go. It's quite simple, actually, with a humble heart that's been spiritually reborn solely by the grace of God, solely through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in your place, shedding his blood to pay for your sins, rising the third day, ascending to the Father, promising to return. Trust the Holy Spirit of God to help you understand the written word of God, because in that word you will find his revealed will. In it, you will find wisdom to help you make wise decisions. And then you make micro decisions wisely based on the macro truths of the word of God. Hearing God's voice means hearing the written word of God and trusting the Holy Spirit to help you understand it and then to apply it. I think there are two important statements that have been made in recent times, one as far back as 1978 and one in 1996. The Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy from 1978 stated this, Holy Scripture being God's own word, written by men prepared and superintended by his spirit, is of infallible divine authority in all matters upon which it touches. It is to be believed as God's instruction in all that it affirms, obeyed as God's command in all that it requires, embraced as God's pledge in all that it promises. And the statement closes with this line. We affirm that what scripture says, God says, may he be glorified. Amen and amen. Probably the most important statement that I want to quote today is from 1996, the Cambridge Declaration of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, which stated this. We reaffirm the inerrant scripture to be the sole source of written divine revelation, which alone can bind the conscience. 
The Bible alone teaches all that is necessary for our salvation from sin and is the standard by which all Christian behavior must be measured. We deny that any creed, counsel, or individual may bind a Christian's conscience. We deny that the Holy Spirit speaks independently of or contrary to what is set forth in the Bible. And we deny that personal spiritual experience can ever be a vehicle of revelation. That's important. Winston, I think the greatest benefit we can give the church today is to warn the church and to pray for the church that we would seek to mine great treasure from the word of God, God's supreme sufficient voice, the Spirit's sword, and that we would wait upon God and just relish his goodness and bask in the glory of Christ as we see his glory in the word of God. Winston, looks like we're out of time for today. Let's keep recording. Let's keep everyone in suspense till next week for part two. <laughs> okay. Can we still do, we got some listener mail. We're going to wrap that up. Let's with that. do it. Uh, so we got a couple questions. My first question I got is in regards to musical worship on a Sunday morning, how does all of that get planned? Do we make a conscious decision when it comes to which songs we choose or how do we, how do we go about choosing those different things? Sure. Well, on the, the big picture, we have been very careful and precise about what kind of songs we choose to have in our book of songs. Okay. And so we, we make sure that they are biblically accurate. They're gospel focused. They're Christ centered. They're not man centered songs. So we make sure that we are very precise and careful and deliberate about that. As we pick songs from that list week to week, we have three primary worship leaders. We have one of our elders who oversees our worship area. We have a staff member that works with them as well. And then I'm working with them and we're basically looking at where we're going and the worship leader picks some songs and, and the, the overseer of worship picks some songs. And then we're praying for God to bless his people through the preaching of the word. And even as we sing songs, we want those songs to be matching up with what we're preaching in the word. We want it to be accurate from the Bible instead of something that would pull the rug out from underneath what was being preached. That's right. Uh, we'll do a whole segment um, one time in the future on musical worship and diving more into that, because that's also very important for the average churchgoer of why exactly are we all just standing up and singing? So that'll be, I'm excited for that episode. Absolutely. It goes back to that line that we heard uh, one of our mentors say on our deathbeds, we're not going to be reciting sermons that we've heard. We're going to be singing the songs of the faith. That's right. So we want to make sure we're singing deep, biblical, Christ-centered, gospel-centered, accurate songs. That's right. So my second question I got here is, what are the roles of associate pastors? So I'm going to answer this question on large scale macro as well as micro large scale macro. If you're an associate pastor at a church, you're going to have a ministry description and they're going to give you certain responsibilities. There's going to be teaching roles. There's going to be leading roles. There's going to be shepherding roles. Uh, you're going to do pastoral care and other things like that. On the micro at Grace Church of Orange, we've got our associate pastors. We have two of them, Andrew McNeil and Randy Clark, and they both have teaching responsibilities. They both have leading responsibilities. They both have shepherding and pastoring responsibilities, pastoral care responsibilities. And so, for example, Andrew oversees our teams that lead our home groups and missions and adult Bible classes and so on. And Randy oversees our children's and family ministries and works with our biblical counseling area and things like that. And so they all have different responsibilities. But for an associate pastor, really for any pastor and really elders do this, too. We pray. We spend time with people. We preach the word. And you look at a ministry description of an associate pastor or a senior pastor or an, even what an elder does. We're going to go operate in those realms. We're going to be 
praying, preaching the word, and caring for people. Well, and that's going to do it for us today in Ordinary Church. Uh, We hope that you'll join us next week. But if you want to ask us a question or suggest a topic, you can go ahead and email us at ordinarychurch at gmail.com. If you do, like I said, there's a good chance it might even turn into a podcast. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Winston. Hope you'll join us next time as we remain faithful, even in the ordinary.